0: Fear, fear is a powerful, universal human emotion. And we discover it very early in life. Think back to when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of monsters under the bed. I was afraid of the neighborhood bully. As we get older, we discover all kinds of new things to be afraid of. Psychologists have identified hundreds of fears ranging from acrophobia, the fear of heights, to zoophobia, the fear of animals. We all battle fears of various kinds and and I think our most common fears are social ones. Does this person or that person like me? Will this group or that group accept me? A girl I knew in high school, she changed her hairstyle and the way that she dressed and even the way she talked because she was desperate to fit in with a particular crowd. And the fear of that group rejecting her was a driving force in her life. And unfortunately, in order to be accepted by the one group, she had to turn her back on other friends. You see, when fear drives our relational behavior, the outcomes never are good. And it's particularly bad when fear invades relationships in the church because God invites us to live together in unity. He wants us to live in gracious harmony with other followers of Jesus, including those who are not like us. Sometimes, though, Fear gets in the way of our unity. And we find a very painful example of this in the life of the Apostle Peter. I'd like us to listen as Dean reads from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Dean, grab the mic and come on over here, buddy. And by the way, as he reads, in this particular passage, Peter is referred to by his nickname of Cephas. Why don't you stand right here in front so everybody can see you and go ahead and read?
1: Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified By the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified.
0: Thank you. What Dean just read is a very tragic episode in the life of the church, because Peter, Cephas, is driven by fear. And as a result, he helps to perpetuate division in the church between two different ethnic groups, Jewish Christians versus Gentile Christians. And here's the background of this story. The message of Jesus has come to the Greek city of Antioch, and people there have responded to the good news through repentance and baptism, and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who lives within every believer to help guide us in the way of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, an ethnic Jew, and other leaders are teaching in this newly formed church, showing the people how to live as disciples of Jesus. And Cephas, Peter, comes to town to help. And so it's an interesting picture. You have a handful of these ethnic Jewish leaders, Jewish Christians, and they're overseeing a Christian church full of non-Jewish Gentiles. So it's a cross-cultural experience. And these different people worship together, and pray together, and study together, and they eat meals together weekly. So despite their differences, they are unified as followers of Jesus, until a new group of Christians arrive, a new group of Jewish Christians from Jerusalem sent by the Apostle James, and that particular group still practices a snobbish Jewish custom. They don't eat with Gentiles because they believe Gentiles are inferior. And Cephas, oh, he is steeped in Jewish tradition. So he now faces a dilemma. Which group will he identify with? And as we look at the text, as we see here in verse 12, Cephas yields to fear. He wants to be accepted by these other Jewish Christians so he no longer eats with the Gentile Christians. Do you see what's happened? His fear of rejection by one group causes him to turn around and reject another group. I I think it's probably safe to say that all of us in this room are Gentiles. So imagine how this would feel to us. Cephas would be treating us as second-class citizens in our very own church. and That's not very nice. Even worse, it's actually hypocrisy, as Paul says, because it's not what Cephas has actually been practicing. He has no problem eating with Gentiles. He just doesn't want to look bad in front of these visitors from Jerusalem. And so instead of being led by the Spirit to promote unity... Cephas allows himself to be driven by fear to promote division, ethnic division. And because he's an influential leader, others follow his godly, ungodly behavior. And Paul sees this and he resolves that he can't just sit idly by because if a church embraces social divisions based on class or ethnicity... Or race, then that church no longer reflects the heart of Jesus. So Paul calls Cephas out. Please notice though, Paul does not gossip nor go behind Cephas' back. He doesn't start a little whispering campaign, hey, do you see what he's doing? Paul confronts Cephas personally, face-to-face, because that's what brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to do. God wants us to deal with issues openly so they can be resolved and we can live together in peace. Gossip destroys. Truthful confrontation is the first step toward peace. So Paul challenges Cephas about this very distinctive Jewish practice of ethnic separation from Gentiles. And we need to understand that it's more than just a social custom. It's something that's been built on the Jewish law. And so Jews who follow this practice believe it's required by God as a way to show obedience to the law. Which means these Jewish Christians... Well, they've embraced Jesus as their Messiah, but they've not yet fully let go of the law. And that's why Paul reminds Cephas in verse 16 that the Jewish law cannot set anyone free. Notice what Paul says here. He talks about being justified through Jesus. Every time you read that word justified in the Bible, treat it as if it's the phrase, just as if. Because it means that God sees us in Christ just as if we've never sinned. When we repent and make the choice to trust Jesus, the most amazing thing happens. God wipes the slate clean of our selfishness and our greed and our dishonesty and all of the other destructive attitudes and actions that we embrace. And in their place, God extends to us the undeserved grace of his love and forgiveness. We are forgiven by God, not because of our own efforts at following religious laws. We're forgiven by God simply because of his graciousness toward us. And so to engage in practices tied to the law... Practices like ethnic exclusion at the meal table, which should be one of the most intimate times of fellowship between believers. Such practices are wrong. They're wrong relationally and they're wrong spiritually. And such practices have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And the way to lay them aside is to be led by the Spirit and not... Be led by fear. When we're led by the Spirit, we're being led in the way of Jesus. And that is the way of grace. And and what's so sad is that the church of Jesus Christ so often has struggled in this area of our life together. And we read in the Bible about the way that God brings Jews and Gentiles together and we say, Amen! And then we sometimes go on and reproduce that same kind of ethnic bias in our own generation. We create social distinctions that are not supposed to exist within a community of faith. A little later on in Galatians, here's how Paul describes it very succinctly. Chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one. One in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. There's no second-class citizens. We are one family because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we, and we know that. But, oh, do we struggle to live it out. And we struggle because we tend to fear people who are not like us. And one of the most vivid ways it shows up is in ethnic and racial conflict. When I lived in multicultural Southern California, I saw some wonderful examples of racial harmony in the church between whites and blacks and Hispanics and Asians. And I also saw a lot of people who behaved like Cephas, practicing ethnic separation from other Christians. I know a pastor who ministered in the same church in the same neighborhood in the Los Angeles area for for more than 40 years. And his neighborhood and his church went through some dramatic ethnic changes, and it was always accompanied by a lot of tension. And at first, it was whites versus blacks, and then it was blacks versus Hispanics, and then it was the Hispanics versus the Asians. Because you see, every group is capable of disliking other groups. And if we dig down beneath the surface, such attitudes are driven by fear. Fear of people who are not like us. And the only way to overcome those fears is to be led by the Holy Spirit who will lead us in the way of Jesus toward unity. And as we all know, right now our society is deeply torn over issues of racial justice, particularly for black Americans. And it's a complex topic, it's a sensitive topic, but we can't avoid it. And we can't avoid the fact that the church of Jesus Christ often has been complicit in promoting racial division between whites and blacks. Our particular tribe of churches, independent Christian churches and churches of Christ, have not always been welcoming places. For ethnic minorities. Some of our churches endorsed slavery and preached it from the pulpit. And that stuff is painful, but it's part of our heritage and we need to reject it. And depending upon our own personal and family history, we may need to repent of some things so that we can move beyond racial division and live as one united body of believers. And to help that happen, to help promote unity, I believe that those of us who are Anglo need to be intentional about learning from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not Anglo. Their stories, often so very different from ours, will enlarge our understanding of the way God works in this world. Their stories will enlarge our understanding of biblical justice and freedom in Christ. One man who's helped me a great deal is Fate Haygood. He's an African-American minister in a church of Christ in Southern California. So he's my brother in Christ and he's my colleague in ministry. I've heard him preach. He's led workshops where I've sat under his feet as a student and learned from him. And he's taught me so much about Jesus, the kingdom of God. And he's also helped me better understand the perspective of people like him whose ancestors were slaves. I mean, just think about that. I'm an immigrant. I'll bet most of you are too. (laughs) My ancestors came here voluntarily, fates did not. He grew up in Compton, California, where the community mostly was black and the police officers mostly were white. And so he viewed those tasked with keeping the peace as not like him. My experience is very different than that. And those differences shape so much of how we respond to what happens in our world. Fate once was asked if he preferred to be called a black or an African American. And here's what he said. He said, I don't call myself a black American because that means my history begins when my family came to this country and we came here in chains. I call myself an African American because it reminds me that there was a time before slavery when my family was free. To me, how can you hear a story like that and not be moved unless you have a heart of stone? And see, as an Anglo, it helps me to realize how different the story is for people like fate. Yet the fact of his different story and the fact of his different skin color does not give me license to treat him any differently than any other brother in Christ. There's no grace. There is no freedom in ethnic-driven division. And if instead of engaging in benign neglect, if we step in and we listen and we learn, it breaks down barriers and it moves us toward the unity that Jesus wants for his church. The unity that Paul proclaimed here in Galatians. Not the fear-driven separation practiced. By Cephas. We are in a challenging season in our culture, and it's a challenge that affects the church. And I think in this season, we have a great opportunity to keep pursuing the way of Jesus. So here are three things that you and I can do. Number one, we can pray for peace and reconciliation among all racial groups. And we need to pray that each day. We need to treat all people as human beings made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. And here's one thing I think this means. When we see people who are not like us, and they are engaging in peaceful protests, let's not immediately write them off. Let's start by trying to understand. And if God gives us the opportunity for a cross cultural relationship, particularly in the church, let's take advantage of it. Let's get to know people who are different from us. Because as we do, the Holy Spirit can take away our fears. Because when we're not led by fear, when we're led by the Spirit, Oh, then, then we can fulfill what Paul writes about here. And we can be one in Christ Jesus.